You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, it's officially Victory Sunday, no matter what the haters say. And look, we might as well just start there. At this point, ladies and gentlemen, if, if we can just have a little private meeting here. I've got my new um, Dunder Mifflin World's Best Boss mug. Thank you to uh, my family for Christmas. Uh, conference room meeting, Packer fans. Three minutes, or or right now, because we're here. I'm not going to start talking about Dementors. Look, as I've always said, you fan how you want to fan. However, I believe at this point, we got to just tune out the noise. That's not to say we can't come in and be like, look, this needs to improve. That needs to get better. I wish we did this more. I wish we made a different call here. But the sharks out there are swarming, and I'm just saying, don't go swimming with them. Okay, if you want to stay on the island with us and be like, hey, man, um... I wish Garvin held the edge a little better. Be like, yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, but don't go swimming out in the, sh- in, in the deep waters with the circling sharks, like the computer nerd Ben Baldwin and all the Bears fans who, wanted, who have nothing, literally nothing better to do because their season's over. It's been over for a while now, but they have nothing better to do than sit and wait for a, a non-call against the Packers so they can claim that that's the reason we won the game. As if we didn't have 500 interceptions and like 50 sacks. And by the way, they're also saying nothing about all the non-calls against the Browns. They're not saying anything about the fact that we clearly won that challenge, but they didn't give it to us, right? And I, I, I didn't say, I didn't go on Twitter and be like, the refster. To be fair, I have done that before. Not in those exact words, but, you know, it was just, it was, I didn't really see too much in this game that was horrifically bad calls including the uh, call that uh, Razul didn't get in which he ended up with a pick. In fact, as people were talking, I mean, when I saw it live, I was like, yep, that was a penalty, should have been called. Oh, well, stuff happens. First of all, the reason I wasn't upset is it's clearly not egregious. That's the kind of ticky-tack stuff that if we just decided for fun, let's go back and review every single route by every single receiver and every single corner, you know how many times there's going to be like a slight hand on the jersey to try to slow him down a little bit. Did you see how many times, I mean, one of the, the passes, I think Devontae even caught it. He had to do it with one hand because his other arm was being pinned down. But again, that's, that's you know, we've had football players and coaches tell us that basically what they're trying to do out there is cheat and get away with it. They teach you different techniques to do these things. Now, sometimes in what, what you get upset with what the ref's for is these egregious penalties that make massive differences in the game. All right, like if I if if you grab the guy's shoulder and pull and he jerks backwards and you don't throw a flag, like come on, you didn't see the guy lurch backwards. But if he slowed down like a half a mile an hour, 
because our guy kind of sneakily snuck his hand on his back and grabbed the jersey a little bit to kind of slow him down. That's um, that's the kind of stuff that happens every play. Same with that whole, like, well, I'm just running, but I'm also, my hand just happens to be on top of your hand. Kind of like, quote-unquote, rub routes. What's a rub route? A rub route is a pick. You're trying to be slick and pretending that, oh, I'm just running a route and I happen to get in your way. No, you're that's cheating. But technically, I can't say that it wasn't on accident, so we'll let you get away with it. All right, the Packers uh, pass blocking for years. They, they've essentially done what? What What is their claim to fame? I don't know if it's still a thing, but for many years, their claim to fame was they perfected how to hold and get away with it. That's, I mean, let's be completely honest. That's a lot of what football is. They teach you techniques on how to kind of, ch- I mean, even when guys come out of their breaks, I mean, essentially what you're trying to do, if you think about it, when you press a guy on the line, why do you do that? You're trying to disrupt the route and disrupt the timing. You want to slow him down and you want to push him off his his spot. When a guy comes out of his break five yards down the field and you see the defender kind of put his hand on, on the guy's hip, why? It's a very slight thing, but it's going to just slow him down that little bit because these guys are working on timing 24-7. If I can just bump you a little bit, if I can just put my hand on you just a little bit to kind of slow you down, to slow you up, if I can just get my hand a little bit over your arm and pretend that, hey, it just happens to be here, I can have an arm too, you know. I mean, that that's that's technically part of that is good technique when you think about a, a corner pushing a receiver out of bounds. That's technically what you're supposed to do. You ride him out of bounds. You're just run, I'm just running with you, but I'm slowly running closer and closer to the sideline. And I'm what I'm literally doing is pushing you out of bounds as I run down the sideline. That's not even a penalty. That's just that's just called good technique. The NFL has never even addressed that as, hey, it looks like you're pushing a little, which I hope they don't, and I, you could see that happening someday. But even all that aside, upon further review, there was a clear push-off. And as Brett Coleman said on Twitter, generally, and I, I, I think he's given the refs too much credit, as though they actually watched this and computed this. I think they just missed everything or just let it play. But generally, referees are going to let the corners give as good as they get. And when you get a, a receiver... Who, by the way, you want to talk about more quote-unquote good technique that's technically cheating. One way to do a push-off without actually pushing off is to just run straight into the the defender and push him straight back and then come out of your break. He plowed right into our guy to kind of throw him to the ground and then try to cut inward. But he also threw a hand in there and tried to push off. And Rizul's like, no, you're not going to push me. So as he's being pushed, he's pulling. And yeah, he pulled longer than, uh, than he was pushed. So if you freeze frame it, after the push-off, you just see a hold. So, I mean, listen, if it, if it gets called, then it gets called. If it doesn't get called, it doesn't get called. But that was not an egregious thing by any stretch. And again, we, we just got to stop. And that's why on Twitter yesterday, I was just gloating and doing what I said I was going to do several weeks ago, which is from now on, just say, yes, we cheat. That's what we do. Because what do you say to that? I mean, say that to somebody else. It's, it's beyond, it's not even debatable anymore, the Packers cheat. Something to that effect, which, I mean, again... My, my first instinct is to argue, because it's, it's not beyond, it's just, it's just that you're looking for it. And so when you finally find it, despite the fact that you've been ignoring penalties all day, when you finally find the one that goes in the Packers' favor, oh, there it is again. Can you believe it? Every game I keep seeing it, as though we don't see it every game against every team. It's fun. It is funny to me how Bears fans will cry every week about the refs and how they get just completely screwed by the refs. But yet the Packers are the ones that get all the calls. But I thought everybody else got all the calls too. And we know Tom Brady gets all the calls. So is it just everybody but you? Huh, that's weird. 
But again, my first instinct is to argue, as you can tell. But it's much easier to just just ex- just admit it. Admit guilt, even though it's not true. Yep, we cheat. We're going to keep cheating. That's why we're going to continue to be better than you. In fact, especially for Bears fans, it's real great because now they're, they're sitting here saying, well, once we get a good head coach, once things kind of turn in our favor, you guys are in trouble. Nah, we got the refs. We're good. <laughs> you can't win in this division, dude. You can't. You can't beat us in the refs. Now, again, obviously it's a silly thing, and we're going to end up losing games to, uh, to the refs. But the thing, the funny thing is the best thing they can do at that point is go, oh, how did your refs help you now? Exactly. Exactly. That was my point the whole time, dummy. <laughs> but, he, but even beyond that, sound like a porky pig there. Bleep, bleep. You know, you got a lot of people. And, and I understand as a Packer fan having these same similar thoughts. But you, you got all the computer dorks who are out there saying the Packers aren't that good. And Ben Baldwin's been saying this every week. And we've won every week since he's been doing this. But he's coming out and saying they're not that good. The defense is not that good. The offense is not that good. They're not beating the teams by as much as they should. And I talked about that a little bit, however many days ago it was. Somewhat of an unfair metric. And yeah, maybe there are issues. I'm concerned about the defense. I am. I'm concerned about the offensive line because just, I mean, they're protecting Rodgers. But again, going to need to be able to run the ball better. The blocking isn't quite as good as it should be. I mean, we're, we're really just kind of back to relying on... Aaron Rodgers putting together another MVP performance, a little late to the party, but he's he's here in force now, and it doesn't look like he's going away pending a toe injury. He and Devontae are just unstoppable right now. But but again, we've been here before where things really aren't working, but we've got the greatest quarterback in football, the clear number one wide receiver in football, and our defense is bad and relies on interceptions and sacks, which I'll take that, but it's an unreliable thing if you need that every single week in order to win. If you need four sacks and four uh, interceptions to win a football game, that's not a sustainable way to win. So I'm also concerned, but you don't need to engage with the trolls. If you haven't seen it, I'm, I'm primarily, and it, 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 it applies to everything he has to say about the Packers, but his tweet yesterday, the Packers needing to hang on for dear life to beat two, two COVID-afflicted teams, Baltimore and Cleveland, by a combined three points is why betting markets aren't very high on them relative to public perception. First of all, Weren't we seven and a half point favorites in this game? That's probably higher than I would have put it. Second of all, I don't know, public perception. What public perception? Who thought seven and a half was a weak line? I don't, I don't know. Maybe he heard that somewhere. Second of all, all the complaining about the COVID afflicted teams as though the Packers aren't winning despite having some of their best players gone. We've been saying this since forever, but it seems like since they've been gone so long, we can't talk about it anymore. The Browns are missing people that are new. We've just been missing the same. I mean, basically, they haven't been here all year, so they don't count. Like Jair and Zadarius and Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins, those guys don't even count anymore. You can't even really talk about them. How about Whitney Merciless? That guy was doing fantastic things for us, and we lost him. We've had a hodgepodge of offensive linemen that keep going out and keep coming back and keep going out. Corners, we keep losing corners. Kevin King's just coming back. We've had different linebackers come and go. Aaron Jones has been missing for stretches. How about our number one tight end? Are we not allowed to talk about DeGuara? Well, that was a long time ago. Quit, not DeGuara. See, I'm already moved on. Are we not allowed to talk about uh, Tunyon? Because that, that was a while ago. He's out for the year, so we don't talk about that anymore. Yes, the, the, the Browns are going through some stuff. I mean, they had their number one receiver. They had their quarterback. They had their number one pass rusher. Who was the best player they had that was out? They had their top two corners back who played fine. They had 
JOK, the linebacker, who was their top linebacker. Their kicker might have been the biggest, <laughs> the biggest problem with COVID. I know they had a big list. Um, what's his name? The other pass rusher. That was pretty big, relatively. But it's all Miles Garrett. And what did Miles Garrett do in this freaking game? He didn't do anything. So listen, I, I completely agree that I wish the Packers had done better. I completely agree that the defense needs to be better than that. Obviously, the the interceptions and sacks are fantastic, but I want to get back to what we were before. I, I would happily give up some of the interceptions and sacks if it means just being a stingier defense, but that's not where we're at. They're having some issues, and that's scary, and I don't know why. I'd have to go back. and the, the only time I saw clearly what a problem was, they went back and showed a replay of one of the Nick Chubb runs, and Jonathan Garvin just got thrown a mile onto the top of his face. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds about accurate for what I just watched. I don't know what the answer is exactly with that. I mean, it could be a lot of different things. I'm, I'm not the, the, the right guy to ask necessarily, but I mean, I, I, it's been several weeks in a row now. So to, to completely put it on matchup or whatever, I just don't know that that works anymore, especially when it's just the run, right? That's something that every team does. They run the ball. And Baker clearly was not a quarter, mobile quarterback in this game. That, that was almost embarrassing to watch. When there was pressure on him, he's like stumbling and falling all over the field. He's halfway giving himself up. He did not want to take a hit at all. And it's hard to say, well, it's because we don't have all our guys because we were good without Zadarius and, and Jair for quite a long time. So... But I, if I had to venture a guess based on two things, number one, my observations of when things went wrong, what was it? And I, I hate to pick on Garvin, but the bottom line is when everybody has a job to do, if one guy fails that job, your defense kind of loses, right? I mean, if everybody's just holding their gap and he gets thrown past the next guy's gap by the offensive lineman, there's a massive hole to run through. And nobody else is coming to save you because everybody else is doing their own job. I want to play this clip real quickly of Rashawn Gary kind of talking about that um, just to kind of further push that point. In terms of the run, um, everything that they had in the run game that we uh, we gave them today. And, you know, it's small mistakes that we could go back and uh, fix because it's all about, you know, fitting up in the right gas, fitting up on the um, fitting up on the right things and so we could play ball fast. So, you know, just correcting, making those uh, small corrections in the run game so we could be dominant. So here is my general thought, and there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can look at this, but I think we kind of have too much of a, um, I think defensive coordinators have a lot of different ways that they can do things, right? There's a lot of different ways to get things done. Game plan is, is part of it where you go in, but the question is, what are we going to try to accomplish? And a lot of things are like sliding scales. I talk about, you know, the Madden thing where, you know, if you want them to be faster, you slide that scale up, but you got to drop somewhere else. You can see that sometimes with the run in the pass, right? If we try to stop the run, we have to take away from the pass and we rely on them to, to do a harder job and vice versa. If we want to focus more on coverage, we're expecting the guys up front to be able to get the job done with a lighter front, which means getting to the quarterback with less help, but also being able to stop the run with less help because the linebackers are going to be dropping. And somewhere along the line, you ultimately always rely on somebody's got to step up. I think there's also somewhat of a sliding scale in terms of um, aggression. When you listen to Rashawn Gary talking about everybody just needs to be able to slot into their gap so that we can just play fast. What he's saying is, if we all just have one job, and we don't have to worry about the guy next to us, and we can just attack, and I don't have to worry about anybody else. And I think that's been the hallmark of this team. 
Guys like Brazil Douglas, guys like Devondre Campbell, the thing that they've said about why they're having so much success is they just allow me to play the way that I want to play. It just clicks, you know. I'm, I'm not asking you to do all these other things. I want you to do this, and I want you to do it really well. You know, Rashawn, if he's just going after the pat, he doesn't have to worry about what the guy next to him's doing. I need to do my job, and I need to just do it violently. I do think that there is a sense of creating a different style of defense that protects against, essentially, bad football players, where we dial down the aggression. We've seen this in several instances with, for example, with with mobile quarterbacks. You dial down the aggression to where you're not trying to penetrate as much, you're kind of hanging back. We saw I saw that for years with Clay Matthews. It drove me insane, where the guy would just kind of hang on the outside. Like, he's not even trying to get to the quarterback, just just containing. And so he could he, the quarterback could sit there for 10 minutes if he wanted to. I don't exactly know what it is or what it would be, but I, I have to assume that there is somewhat of a phalanx approach. You know, the old, something the Greeks used to do, you know, the 300 and those types of guys. But they would create a wall. But the point is, it wasn't just a wall of people. You, the shields would overlap. So in a sense, you're getting double protection. I'm not only doing my job and holding, but I'm also covering for the guy on my left and my right. And the guy on my left and my right are helping to cover for me. Now, that's going to dial down the aggression because I have to give some energy to, you know, watching out for the guy next to me. Again, from a schematic standpoint, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I think it, it just essentially is a more conservative approach to playing football. And I don't think Joe Barry and the defense really want to do that because that's been their identity. And it, it's going to do something to the psyche of the defense to say, listen, we're not very good right now. We're giving up too many explosive plays. We're going to have to dial it back a little bit, be a little bit more conservative and play like a garbage defense. I don't think they want to do that. And fortunately, they were rewarded with the aggression resulting in sacks and interceptions, and that ended up winning us the game. But the negative part of it is, with with too many holes along the defense, if you have an every-man-for-themselves kind of a defense, all it takes is one man to mess up, and, and things fall apart pretty quickly. So, I mean, look, they, they got to figure it out. And it's, it's I mean, it's, it's like that for everything. And it's it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing for Joe Barry to figure out. Every defense has strengths and weaknesses, and you got to figure out how to hide the the weaknesses and accentuate the strengths. And and you know it's also difficult to not know first of all who's even going to be playing, who's going to be out. But on top of that, you don't know who's going to have a good day and who's going to have a bad day. So you might have a game plan to let the edge rushers just kind of go all out, and they're just not having a very good day. Well, now your whole game plan is just kind of wrecked. And now what do you do? Well, you just adjust. Well, first of all, one of the things I wanted to highlight that I said we didn't really have time to get to. Um, I mentioned the, uh, Sam Holman on Twitter. Let me just read it. Cause I said I would, um, this is about the Ravens, but I think it goes to kind of the larger point and the larger point point being they do make adjustments when, when fans say, why don't they make adjustments? What they really mean is why isn't this getting fixed? You don't know that they're not making adjustments. You don't know that they're not doing something different. You just know that whatever they're doing isn't working. And if they change something, it's still not working. But anyways, here is the thread that he put together for the Ravens. I will just read it in its entirety. Some thoughts on the Packers' defensive issues versus the Ravens. There were quite a few things that went wrong, but the good news is there weren't many schematic issues. There were a lot of anomalous factors that we haven't seen this season and hopefully won't see again. First is the numbers dilemma that the Ravens place on defenses. In the first half, the Packers ran a lot of five-man pressure, or four-man with a spy, to clog up potential scrambling lanes with only six in the secondary. They were getting eaten up by Mark Andrews. Some poor play by Savage and creative offensive design compounded these issues. So again, you've got your initial plan. We've got a four-man rush and a spy. So we got five men up front. 
That leaves six in the secondary. That is our initial plan. The problem, Savage is losing, right? Just straight up. That's the problem. It's, it's not that Rashawn is messing up. It's not that Kenny's messing up, although I don't think he played. It's not that Preston is messing up. It's not that Kiki's messing up. One guy messed up, and we're getting destroyed. Continuing on. Along with that came more four-man rushes, which had trouble staying gap sound. The Packers have been fine against mobile quarterbacks before, see the Cards, Bears games, but they haven't had to deal with a dominant receiving performance in those games. So what is he saying? We did make an adjustment. We need more help and coverage, and as a result, what happened? We got eaten up by a mobile quarterback because we don't have enough guys to cover all the lanes. It's a lose-lose situation. You know, pick how you want to die. Goes on to say, particularly from an interior receiver that can draw more attention from linebackers that would normally spy. So not only is it just a numbers game in terms of defensive front and defensive backfield, but particularly what they're attacking is the linebackers. The linebackers are the ones that are trying to do the two hardest things here, which is protect against a mobile quarterback and protect against your tight end gashing you. You can't do both. You can do one or the other goes on to say, thus, Green Bay had to choose between devoting resources toward containing the quarterback or reinforcing coverage. In my opinion, a real no-win situation with how the defense was executing. So again, it's lose-lose because we don't have players good enough to execute. Somebody has to be left on an island to make a play, and we don't have any guys that can just stand up and make a play. We needed Savage to be able to stand up man-to-man and just take him out, and he couldn't. So now we have to change up the initial game plan because, again, the initial game plan was one that would work, but it only, no game plan works if guys can't execute it, right? Everything works on paper. It comes down to guys executing, and if they can't, then then you're in a lot of trouble. Goes on to say, when they put a five-man rush out, Andrews made plays. When they put more coverage players out there, Huntley hurt them with his legs. Luckily, they have been mostly good against tight ends, and there aren't really any mobile quarterbacks that we'll have to face in the NFC playoffs, except Murray, who they already were successful in containing. So I don't think that this will become a trend. So this is kind of what I said and why I was a little bit more optimistic about the Browns. We'll see what Sam has to say about this game and why this one didn't work. But again, this was a different kind of a challenge. Um, it was a lot on the ground, but it really wasn't just on the ground. I mean, they kind of picked us apart through the air as well. It really just felt like they could do whatever they wanted. He goes on to say, another issue was the lack of negative plays. I think this is where the absence of Kenny Clark really hurt Green Bay. They really couldn't generate many sacks, tackles for a loss, though a lot of credit for that is due to Huntley, who got the ball out fast and accurately. So a couple things. Number one, big bonus to the defense for finally getting those negative plays. Number two, the idea that Huntley's in, so we should be able to destroy this team because he's trash, except he didn't play like a bad quarterback. If he's getting the ball out on rhythm, on time, in the right to the right guy, accurately, what difference is there between Huntley and Aaron Rodgers? At that point, there's no difference. If you're going to throw to the same guy at the same time and throw it accurately, it's the same play. It's the same pass. It's it's on the defense to create situations that complicate things for this guy to, to bring out those massive differences, right? If you give him a comfortable pocket and a wide open receiver, it doesn't matter if you're playing Aaron Rodgers or Tyler Huntley, because any NFL quarterback can make that throw. You got to bring the pressure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Goes on to say Kenny Clark's athleticism would have been invaluable in containing the quarterback with a four-man rush. One thing they could have tried since they were already having trouble getting home with four is subbing one of their pass rushers out for a quarterback spy on passing downs. I don't love using a three-man rush, but if they use stunts uh, games, they may have been able to generate enough pressure to flush the quarterback to the spy while keeping guys in the secondary to handle Andrews. So, and, and again, this is where we get annoyed, but from a schematic standpoint, 
you're really in a tough spot. And so what we if, if Sam was the defensive coordinator and he said, let's try this, let's try a three-man rush, see if we can't scare him or bait him essentially into running, and then our spy picks him up, and that's just how we're going to stop this. But if we see a three-man rush and they don't generate any pressure, and despite all the guys in the backfield, he's standing there comfortably and he can still throw the ball to somebody, we're going to lose our minds because you're an idiot. You're the worst defensive coordinator I've ever seen in my life. Why would you do a three-man rush against a mobile quarterback with, you know, blah, 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 right? Point is, again, it's just, it's lose-lose. Anything we're doing is not working. And no matter what you do, it can work if you just do it right. On paper, it'll work. Just like, I mean, Sam said it out loud, and if it works that way, it works that way. You bring a three-man rush, you do enough to scare him or flush him out, and as he's running, you got Devondre or whoever just gets over to the sideline. Maybe it's a three-yard pickup, but we push him out of bounds, and there you go. Hey, we'll take that. Compared to what you guys have been doing, if we can limit you to a a three-yard play, I'll take that. But it also is going to make you look like an idiot if, if that just doesn't happen. Or if he takes off and beats the spy and gets 15 yards, it's like, dude, you did a three-man rush against a mobile quarterback and he gashed you, big shocker. You know what I mean? Like, that, that's just how this stuff works. It's like, well, that's not how the plan was supposed to work. Everything worked except the one guy didn't execute. If he had executed, it would have worked. But that's every play ever. There's always a concept in the defensive coordinator's mind that he's hoping will work, but it's always on guys to execute and they just, you know, when the play doesn't work, they didn't. He says, finally, on a rewatch, I didn't have as much problem as I did in real time when, uh, with when Barry made adjustments. He really started to shade coverage to Andrews after the second Ravens drive, and that did increasing and did that increasingly throughout the game. So again, there were adjustments. There were constant adjustments. I think that's probably generally true of the Packers and of teams in general. But again, it's just a matter of when things are bad and they continue to be bad, we scream, why don't they make adjustments? Because we don't really know what we're talking about. We just assume you're not fixing it, so you suck. And I'm going to say you're not making adjustments. But they probably are. It's just they tried something else and it's it's just not working. Because again, at the end of the day, it always is just going to come down to blocking and tackling. Right? They're going to try to push you out of the way. Don't get pushed out of the way. Right? That's that's the whole thing. We could try to get cute with it and we can bring some more guys and we can try to win the numbers thing, but you know, anything you do, they're they're you're you're gonna expose yourself somewhere. And the offensive coordinators are gonna see that. They're gonna see you cheating a bunch of guys up to make sure you can't run. They're gonna be like, dude, we're just gonna throw it over the top of your head. Because Jarvis is I, I trust that Jarvis is gonna beat Chandon on a, a quick slant route, and you got no linebackers to to cover it because they're coming to try to stop the run because your guys up front can't stop the run. And so we're screaming at Chandon when in reality we should be mad at, you know, Dean Lowry or whoever, which doesn't seem to make any sense, but it's like a 10-yard a, a completion to Jarvis Landry against Chandon Sullivan is Dean Lowry's fault. You know, <laughs> it's, it seems stupid, but that's kind of how it is. It's just, just this never-ending back-and-forth battle. And I just, you know, Twitter's here. It just did one of those things where it flashes new posts or whatever. And thing I saw right away was a post from somebody, I don't know who it was, saying, what is it with this soft defense lately? Again, there's, there's a massive sort of butterfly effect with everything. If you change it to, to whatever it is you want to change it to, to uh, you know less zone, more man coverage. I mean, if you want to try that, I don't know that that's where we're at our best, especially when you got a guy like Razul Douglas who's just feasting. Again, a lot of these interceptions are guys just hanging back, watching the ball, and just jumping it. You really want guys to their, with their backs turned? Have you seen our guys with their backs turned? They're terrible. They don't ever know what to do. They don't know when to turn around, what to do when they turn around. Usually they turn around, they start flailing and fall down, and then the receiver catches it and runs it in for a touchdown. There's your aggressive defense. Is that really what you want? If what you mean by soft is letting them run against us, then yeah, I don't I don't really know what the defense is doing with that or what we should do about that. But 
At the end of the day, it's always just going to come down to guys are not doing their job. And maybe there is some magic formula that Joe Barry could find where if you just if you put this piece here and this piece over here and bring this guy in here and, and do a little bit more of this, then we'll just be able to stop. I don't know. Maybe there is a, a weakness against the Browns that, that they just would not be able to overcome that we could actually execute. I don't know what, what that would be, and I doubt you do either. I, I, I can't really comment on that. But again, at the end of the day, as scary as it is, as frustrating as it is, as worrying as it is, because I don't think that level of play on defense is going to be good enough to win consistently in the playoff, the identity of the team is and always has been finding a way to win. It's been rough, ugly wins by a team with a lot of grit that just, you know, it's never pretty. Whether it's the offense not doing anything and the defense carrying the team, or now the defense is struggling and the offense is carrying the team, one way or another, they find a way to win. That's always been the identity of the team. And so, look, all the, uh, all the analytics say that the Packers aren't very good and all this stuff. All the analytics said we should have lost to the Cardinals. All the analytics said we shouldn't have the record that we have, right? I mean, essentially, Ben keeps warning us, they're not that good, they're not going to win. They're not that good, they're not going to win. But they just keep winning, right? That's, that's, that's the difference. Winning is the difference. Why does nobody else have the record that we have? Again, I'm not just outright denying that there are certain issues, but there's just been nothing but doom and gloom about the impending doom to come, and they just keep winning. And, and, and listen, you can do this with, with every team. That's the other issue I have with this. Why is it just the Packers that need to be concerned about this? Well, the Giants just, or excuse me, the Dallas Cowboys just blew out the Giants. That's what you expect against a bad team. First of all, Cleveland is not a bad team. They had a bunch of people out, and again, it's not most of their top players, but how about the fact that they only scored 21 points against the Giants? Do they get busted out for that? How do you only score 21 points against the Giants? How does that happen? Do, do, do they get dinged for that the way we get dinged, despite the fact that our defense didn't even give up hardly any points? But they score 22? whoop de doo In fact, Dallas hasn't even reached 30 points since week 12 against the Raiders, and they lost that game, right? The last time they had over a, a real big game offensively and won was against the Falcons, 43-3. Well, there's your blowout. That's how you know they're good. Okay. Well, they lost two in a row after that, and they lost the game before that. The Patriots just lost by 10 to the Colts. Does that matter? The game before that they won, they only scored 14 points. They had, they had a bunch of blowouts before that. Is that why, like, if you just get some blowouts, then you're just always good forever, despite the fact that you didn't really do much after the fact? I don't really know how this works. Basically, if you don't match computer expectations, computers say you suck. How about the Bills losing um, pretty much, let's see, what, what's their record since they're by? They're 4-4 four and four since they're by? Yeah, but they blew out Carolina. Dude, here, here's the thing. You can be a team like Buffalo that has blowouts against, you know, teams like Carolina. Let me just ask you this, though. What would you rather have? Being 3-0 and in really ugly games or being 1-2 your last three weeks, but your one game was meeting expectations. You're playing Carolina. You're really good. They're really bad, so you should win by 17 points, which is what they did. But you go up against Tampa. It's a tough game. You lose in overtime. But the computer's going to look at that and go, yeah, but it's Tampa. You're still a good team. You lose to New England, and it's like, well, New England's a good team, and it was really crazy weather. Computer, not mad. They played the Saints. You won 31-6. Boom. Dude, that's way above expectations. You're so good. It seems like Ben Baldwin is mostly, and in, in his computer algorithms or whatever, are mostly concerned with, and this is the same with DVOA. It's, it's, a, it's a metric that says how much you win by, right? If What are you supposed to win by, and what did you win by? So if you're 5-0, and but you only win by one point in each game, you're, you're plus 5. And if you were favorited in all those games, 
and you're expected to win by, let's say, five in each of those games, you're actually negative four in all those games. You're a negative four team, which means you're, you're actually a below average team, mathematically, computer speaking, language, world. Okay, dude, whatever. I don't know. We're five and oh. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. And again, this is where you get um, low expectations for the Packers, despite whatever Ben's talking about. But you, you'll, you'll get them going up against you know, the the Rams and people don't really expect the Packers to win except they dominated them 36 to 28. Well, that's not supposed to happen because they're actually below average. They don't even meet expectations. When they play Arizona, they're not supposed to win. Arizona is dominant. The Packers are not. It's not really the record. I mean, they went into the game six and one. They have a good record. But when you look at their wins, they're not that impressive. Winning by three points in overtime against the Bengals, eh. Barely beating San Francisco, eh, right? They're not that good. And we look at other issues like Aaron Rodgers hasn't been quite as good. So Arizona, Arizona should win. No, Arizona lost. And the Rams lost. And the Bears by 15. <laughs> I mean, it's, listen, I'm not happy we gave up 30, but we still won by 15. Yeah, but Baltimore didn't have their starting quarterback. Okay, first of all, and I, I said this about Baker too. I said there's a chance that we're better off if Baker doesn't or if, if Baker plays than doesn't play. I might have been right about that. Because again, Baker has a higher ceiling but also a lower floor. Baker might have lost this game for them by throwing all those picks. If you just get a generic vanilla nothing quarterback in there to just, you know, not throw picks, let's just run the ball a bunch and then throw to the open guys. They might have won the game. It's no different with Baltimore. Lamar Jackson has been awful. He's been terrible. Tyler Huntley may have been an upgrade in that game because, again, what did he do? He just went out and he just executed what he had to do. He threw to the open guys and nothing more. He didn't put the ball in danger. He didn't throw any interceptions. It's not like he threw seven interceptions and we just kept dropping them. There weren't any because he didn't make any bad decisions. So at the end of the day, I'm not really worried about the computer. I understand how that works. I think it's pretty, um, and again, DVOA doesn't like us. I get it because we're, you know, it's sort of an expectation that if you're this good, you should win by this much and we don't. If your defense is this good, you should be able to hold them to this many points, and they give up more points than that. Well, then you're not that good. Okay, fine. We're going to win the game? Well, but you're not that good. And, and if you asked him about it, he would say, yeah, well, you beat the Browns, congratulations. The point is you're going to get into the playoffs and you're not going to Well, probably, but that was true even if we were that good. And again, who, who, who is? Who is that good? Is it the Chiefs who had to go into overtime against the Chargers? Yeah, but they blew out the Raiders, man. That's why that's why the computers love the Chiefs. 48 to 9. The week before that, 22 to 9. The week before that, 19 to 9. Granted, that's only a 10-point win and the offense only scored 10, 19 points. That's not great. But the week before that, 41 to 14. Oh my goodness, computers love the Chiefs. But the Chiefs are 10 and 4 because they lost to the Ravens and they lost to the Chargers and they lost to the Bills and they lost to the Titans. 3 to 27. Aww. So every team is prone to lose and have bad days. That's true of the Chiefs, it's true of the Packers, it's true of the Cowboys, it's true of everybody. So what are we talking about? We're talking about when you win, you win big? Okay. I mean, I'd love that because it's less stressful, but the name of the game is winning and the Packers do it better than anybody. And the, the, one of the very few games they actually lost, we didn't have our starting quarterback. And again, complaining about COVID, the Packers have some of their biggest players out and have had them out all year and continue to win regardless. Yes, they've had some struggles. Yes, they're struggling to cover up for all the deficiencies that they have right now. They're doing their best at the offensive line. They're doing their best with their defensive line. They're doing their best without having their, their premier corner, which doesn't even you wouldn't even hardly notice that he's been missing. Thanks basically entirely to Brian Gutekunst, who drafted Stokes and brought in Razul Douglas, who are our starting two corners right now. 
and a little bit to Matt LaFleur for hiring Joe Barry and making this whole thing come together. So let me just make it real easy for you. We got the uh, Minnesota Vikings coming up next week. Are we going to win that game? I don't know. But I would be stunned if we blow out the Vikings. Stunned. Well, we're a 12-win team. They're a 7-win team. We should blow them out. If we were a real championship team, we would, you know, just, uh, listen, we're not going to, all right? So let it go. We've actually lost our last two meetings against the Vikings. I don't expect to blow them out. I just want to try to find a way to beat them. And I know that saying it that way is going to upset them. What do you mean find a way? We're we're the better team. I don't know what to tell you, man. The Vikings are a good team. I don't know why they're 7-7. and I mean, I, I do and I don't. We can sit here and talk about all their negatives, and we can talk about all the, the problems that they have, but we're, the, the Packers are not game planning for why they suck. They're game planning for the fact that Kirk Cousins carves us up. That guy plays at 110% every time he plays against Green Bay. We're game planning against a team that runs the ball well. We're game planning against a dynamic wide receiver duo, and I have no idea who's playing and who's not playing. I don't know what's going to happen. For all I know, COVID's going to be so bad that the game's going to be canceled or pushed back or postponed or whatever. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know they've got a really good bunch of scary people on that team. And another handful handful of guys that maybe on the season haven't been very good, but can easily pop off and have a great day. And I don't know which Green Bay Packers are going to show up. Who's going to be good? Who's going to be bad? I don't know who's going to be playing, who's going to be out. I don't know who's coming back. Is Bakhtiari coming back or did we just lose somebody else? I don't know. But it's going to be a knockdown, drag out fight. And I just want them to win at the end. And if we win, there's going to be a lot of talk about Packers and, and, and referees and penalties. It's going to be a lot of talk about how you should have won by 15 and you only lost by two. Therefore, you're terrible. Ha ha, you are losers. Okay, I don't care. This is not going to be an easy matchup. Just find a way to win. That's the sentence I choose to use, and I'm standing by that. Same is true, by the way, of the Lions. Oh, they, you, you, no, 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 you can't, da, da, da. No, yes, I can. The Lions have had a real knack this year of just absolutely exploding once in a while. We beat them 35 to 17 the last time we played them, and they've got a terrible record, so I understand, well, we should, da, 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 da. It's in Detroit. They're actually 2-1 the, uh, the last three weeks, despite being 0-10-1 prior to that. Uh, they beat Minnesota 29-27 and beat the Cardinals 30-12. Those are two teams that are good football teams. They have that ability to just magically show up. And I, I Listen, point to the roster and show me why the, the Minnesota Vikings or the Cardinals should have lost to the Detroit Lions. They don't have anybody. Their quarterback is terrible. They don't even have wide receivers. What is, their de- what, is, what is Detroit's defense? I can't point you to their star players that would have caused the Cardinals to only score 12 points. Well, they didn't have Hopkins. I don't care. Detroit doesn't have corners, period. Or really good safeties or linebackers or pass rushers or whatever. So find a way to win the game, maybe. 12 points? So I don't expect any of these upcoming games to be easy games. They're divisional games, they're going to be difficult games, and we just have to find a way to win the next two weeks, the way that we found a way to win the last several. Anyways, we should probably take a break. Uh, We'll take a break. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast. Uh, We'll be back momentarily. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. 
In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So kind of doing things backwards because I can't help but launching into things right away. Um, but let's take a look at some of the statistics here. Aaron Rodgers, 24 of 34 for 202 yards, 5.9 yard average, three touchdowns, 115.1 passer rating. It's kind of funny because a lot of what this game came down to was not even who was the better team on a play-to-play basis, but who showed up when it mattered. If you look at a lot of the stats, for example, um, the Browns won time of possession. The Browns ran more plays. The Browns had more yards. The Browns had more yards per play. The you know, just kind of down the line, the Browns seemed to do better over and over and over. And again, Baker threw for more yards. Baker had more yards per attempt. But at the end, he also had the longer pass. Rogers' longest pass was 34 yards. Baker's was 40. What was the difference? Well, there's a 55 passer rating compared to a 115. Well, how does that happen? Two touchdowns compared to three touchdowns, right? What does actually matter? The score. And then interceptions, four to zero. Also, five sacks compared to zero sacks. On a play-to-play basis, the Browns were the better team. But the Packers came up clutch when it mattered. At the end of the day, what matters is scoring touchdowns and stopping drives. If you drive all the way down the field and, and then throw a pick, the defense won that series. I'm sorry to tell you. You were better than the defense, but the defense won. I was playing, my my son got a little tabletop pool thing, you know, billiards. You know, you can play and basically clear the entire table and then knock that eight ball in at the end to lose. You know, you knock it in earlier, you scratch or whatever the case may be. The point is, you're clearly better. You clearly dominated. You won the whole thing, but you just lost in the end. And guess what? You don't get partial points. You don't get points for time of possession. You don't get points for, for yards. 
You don't get points for yards per attempt. These are just markers and indicators. And again, these are the things Ben Baldwin loves to rub all over his body, but they're, they're just markers. More yards, more yards per attempt, longer passes, 55 compared to 115 because Rodgers protected the ball and threw more touchdowns. And that really is the reason the Packers won. Aaron Rodgers versus Baker Mayfield is, is it, you can probably break it down to, to a lot of different things, but that really was a difference maker. On the other side, absolutely horrific, running the ball. A.J. Dillon, nine carries, 41 yards, 4.6 average. There's nothing wrong with that. Aaron Jones, 12 carries, 66 yards, 5.5 average. There's definitely nothing wrong with that. The issue was the defensive side of the ball. Baker Mayfield had two carries for 11 yards, 5.5 average. Nick Chubb, 17 carries, 126 yards, 7.4 average, and a touchdown. And there's two more guys. Anthony Schwartz, who I said we got a, or I think Dearness, whatever. Anthony Schwartz, two carries, 24 yards, 12-yard average. Dearness Johnson, four carries, 58 yards, 14.5-yard average. They averaged 8.8 yards per carry. All four of these guys had carries over 10 yards. All four of them did. Baker did, 12 yards. Anthony Schwartz, 13 yards. Nick Chubb, 27 yards. Dearness Johnson, 30 yards. The guy only had four carries, and he had a 30-yard scamper. I don't even remember the last time A.J. Dillon's had a 30-yard rush. So who won? The Browns. The Browns ran better than we did. Didn't matter, though. It's concerning. I know. Doesn't matter, though. It might matter in the future. It might. COVID might matter in the future. Injuries might matter in the future. I mean, let's not forget, it was a couple weeks ago that the offense was what we were concerned about. Aaron Rodgers wasn't quite playing right. The offense wasn't quite clicking, and and the defense was carrying us. And we just knew that unless this offense picked it up, we were never going to do anything. Now, all of a sudden, to think the offense is a problem is laughable. And the defense is struggling. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who we're going to lose, who we're going to bring back. I just know we won the game. I don't know how the defense is going to perform against Minnesota. I don't. I guess we'll find out. It's concerning. It is concerning. Sure. If what we saw never changes, it's concerning. Yes. Except for the fact that it's, you know, if it never changes, then we get all those picks and sacks and they only score 22 points, which based on points, this is one of the best defensive performances we've seen in a long time. So there's also that, but I'm assuming that doesn't stay the same. Just the part where we suck stays the same and the picks go away and the sacks go away. Is that, is that the universe we're creating right now? Again, I'm not trying to minimize. I understand there's issues, but we're cherry picking, right? We're not acknowledging the good. We're just acknowledging the bad. That was one of the worst defense to, to act as though the defense has always been that bad. No, it's been struggling. It's not been that bad. That was uniquely awful. And I'm hopeful that that's not going to happen continually from now on because there's no reason to believe that. Uh, receiving, Devontae obviously had the most. He's just, I don't know, those, Rodgers and Devontae are just, they're, they're on another level right now. Whatever whatever it was that they were not able to do early on, I'm starting to think if Rodgers just plays better while he's drugged. You know what I mean? I, I can't get over that fact. I remember that Bears game. I'm never going to forget that Bears game. He went out injured. We were losing the game. He comes back all drugged up and just lights it up. And let's not forget, the guy likes to go out to Hawaii and just kind of, you know, do some stuff and you know, I don't know what he's doing out there. I'm just saying he seems to be more at peace when he's not super stressed. And so, you know, the guy's got a toe injury and, you know, he's talked about how, you know, we've kind of, and maybe it's just a direct injection. It has nothing to do with how it affects his brain. I don't know, but I'm thinking they're giving him some some painkillers and it's kind of helping him out a little bit. Just kind of gets him into a zone. I don't know what the deal is, but anyways, Devante is uh, also in his zone here. 10 receptions on 13 targets, 114 yards, 8.8 yards per uh, target, 11.4 yards per reception, two touchdowns, 33 yard was his longest. Um, The next 
best receiver, which I wouldn't have guessed this, Aaron Jones, six targets, five receptions, only 21 yards, but in terms of, of receptions and whatnot. Then you got Alan Lazard, five targets, only two receptions. Again, another not very good reception day, but 45 yards, including a 34-yarder, which was huge. He also had the uh, record-breaking... He only had two receptions, but they were giant receptions. <laughs> so I guess we'll kind of give him a pass on this one, but he had the the touchdown that broke the record that Brett Favre held for quite a while and then had a 34-yard reception on top of that. So uh, after that, A.J. Dillon, three for three. I, I'm, I'm starting to think A.J. Dillon has the best hands on this team. Every single time a pass is thrown to him, and it, I'm not blaming Rodgers. It's probably Dillon not quite being where he's supposed to be, but that ball is never, ever anywhere where it should be catchable, and somehow he hauls it in. I don't know what the deal is. But that guy, uh, I shouldn't even, I'm worried about jinxing it, but that guy doesn't drop anything. And every single pass should be dropped. I'm looking at that, and it's like, if he dropped that, I'd totally get it. But somehow he hauls it in and just starts getting north and south. But three targets, three receptions, 15 yards. Josiah DeGuara, three targets, two receptions, five yards. Mercedes Lewis, three targets, two receptions, two yards. Um, And then Juwan Winfrey was one target, zero receptions. Then we get to the fun part, the defense. Devondre Campbell led with tackles. I thought he had a, a pretty decent day. I, you know, I didn't see every single snap, but he, on a day in which the tackling seemed to be a problem, I thought Devondre is just, he's, he's just what he is, man. The guy just, he seems so strong. You know what I mean? He gets his paws on people and they just go down. Sacks on the day, Preston Smith with one, Dean with one, Rashawn Gary with two, and uh, Tipa which again, I know I'm saying it wrong, but that's how I say it. Also with the sack, I believe that is his first sack. And I, I, I got to be honest, man, I am, um, I don't know where my brain was in this game. They kept, when I was listening to the Rashawn Gary interview, they kept talking about two sacks. And I'm like, two sacks? They had more sacks than that. Why do you keep saying two sacks? And I'm like, are they talking about Rashawn Gary had two sacks? Like Rashawn didn't have any sacks in this game. I don't remember one of his sacks. I remember Dean's. I remember Preston's. Kenny scared him out of the pocket and Preston went and cleaned it up. I remember Tippa's. I don't remember any of Rashawn's. I, rem- I distinctly remember watching the game thinking, Rashawn, now is your time, dude. We haven't really seen you yet. You need to be making a play here. You know, as things got down to the wire, it was like Rashawn's due. I blacked out, I guess. I don't know what's going on. Although I, I do, actually, you know what? I Now now that it, now it's coming back to me because I was picturing a couple of those sacks where the pocket just completely collapsed. And so Rashawn probably got on top of him and I didn't really catch it. And now that I think about it, I do remember him dancing. So he obviously got one of them. But I think that's what it was. It was just kind of the pocket collapsed, and um, it all kind of just, I didn't really notice, I guess, who was the the main driver of that. But I do remember Rashawn dancing once, and now I recall one of those sacks. Anyways, interceptions, uh, two for Razul Douglas, because the guy is just an absolute freak. And I will say, I don't know if it was on accident or on purpose, but I'm going to give him credit for it. If, if he did that second pick on purpose, that was just insane. Because I remember when I watched it, I just thought, man, Baker's just playing like garbage. That is so stupid. And when they showed the replay and showed Razul Douglas bail out and then double back, in other words, he left the guy wide open. And then and that's the thing that makes me think that it was on purpose because how did he know he was there? It's one thing to be looking and go, oh, no, I see that guy and I left him there. I better go cover him. It's another thing to bail from that position face the other direction, and then double back because you know a guy's going to be there and undercut a, a route. I there was um, There's a video of Bill Belichick talking about the best defensive play I think he's ever seen, and it was, in, I think, in the Pro Bowl. And it was, I think it was Ed Reed. And Ed Reed did essentially that. He sprinted to the middle of the field, and then just no look, didn't even look. He doubles back to the sideline and jumps the route. 
He just timed it perfectly. He knew that if I run full speed in this direction, that guy's going to be open and the quarterback's going to see him open and he's going to throw it. And if I turn and bail, that ball's going to be hanging in the air and I can go get it. Again, I don't know if the guy just messed up and then something clicked in his head like, oops, I'm, I, you know, because maybe the other guy was, he watched as another corner was there to cover him and he's thinking, shoot, I better get out. I don't know. But if there's even the slightest chance that he did that on purpose, he just pulled off an Ed Reed. I mean, he just pulled off a Charles Woodson-esque play. He pulled off a, like, I've been in this league doing this for so long. I'm so good. I'm trying to, to perform like next level, next, next, next level stuff. Like things that a coach would never say, hey, let's try this, right? Like this is not something you even draw up because it's so stupid. Like I'm, I, 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 there's no words for that kind of a play. So I'm, I'm, I'm really torn on that because it feels like he made a mistake and then figured it out. Kudos to him for that. And then just bailed and, and got lucky. But again, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I just... Uh. I want it to be true so bad because that's just, that's something that I, I don't know that I've really witnessed something that good in a very long time. I mean, sitting on a route and breaking on it. I mean, we, we've had Packers that used to do that in the past when we had uh, McKenzie and, and that whole crew, Al Harris and whatnot. They used to, they were perfectors of that. They would bait quarterbacks into that. They would kind of drop a little bit too far, pretend they're not paying attention, and then they jump route. They did that all the time. They had that down to a science. This is bigger than that. This is sort of dropping a little too deep and kind of looking around like, oh, I'm not paying attention. And then you wait for that arm to cock back because you're watching out of the corner of your eye and then you just sprint. You're still kind of in position. You're still always keeping your eyes where they need to be. You're never just losing a wide receiver entirely by turning your back to him. Maybe for a second. I don't know. But that's, that is just wild to me. So I, I guess I have to assume that was an accident until confirmed otherwise, but good Lord. But uh, anyways, Darnell Savage came up with one and Chandon Sullivan with another. As for pass deflections, uh, Devondre Campbell had one, Razul had two, Darnell Savage with one, Eric Stokes with one that should have been a pick. I was not super thrilled with him on that one because it hit him right. I mean, that was an easy one and he just dropped it. Um, I was upset because it would have ended the drive and they continued to drive after that. I don't remember if they got points or how many or what all happened, but that. But then also like, dude, Stokes, we want to cheer for you so bad. We want you to get in on this party where everyone's just getting a bunch of picks. We want to just jump up and down and say, we got a steal here. We got a stud here. And I listen, I get it. You're having a good day regardless, but we really needed you to get that ball, dude. We needed you to get that pick. That was important in our ability to really just start jumping up and down about how great you are. Anyways, we don't have uh, 7.30 in the morning. We don't have the PFF grades up quite yet, but we do have the recap. Um, so I'm going to quickly go through that. Starting off with the quarterback, Rodgers was efficient through the game, but had some issues when throwing to intermediate part of the field. However, he did not throw an interception and was not sacked. So they have his stats based on distance. Throws behind the line of scrimmage, 7 of 7 for 26 yards, 0 to 9 yards, 14 of 19 for 100 yards. Then you got the intermediate range, 10 to 19 yards. He was only 1 of 6 for 9 yards, although he did have a, that was a touchdown throw. And then 20-yard passes, he was somehow better on deep throws, 2 of 2 for 67 yards. You love to see that, man, because when things aren't working, that's always the seems like the first thing to go is the deep ball accuracy. But to be 100% on deep balls, even, even if it's just two, that's, that's pretty fantastic. 
Looking at running backs, Packers running back committee, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon once again split carries. Jones handled 12 attempts for 66 yards, 59 of which came after contact. He also forced three missed tackles. Dillon was given nine carries, which he took for 41 yards, including 31 after contact. So again, a lot of yards after contact for these guys because that's pretty much all they have to work with. Aaron Jones in particular was fantastic with that because there were numerous plays where I'm like, well, there's a loss of four and he ends up getting 20 yards on it. It's like, what the heck is that? I thought he was down four times. Adams has thrown at 15 times and caught 10 passes for 114 yards. He did drop one target. I'm pretty sure the stats were different from what I saw. But anyways, uh, he did drop one target. He put up 3.35 yards per route run, which is psychotic, making him the only Packer player with a figure above two yards. Adam also ge- Adams also generated 142.3 passer rating when targeted. Green Bay Packers front five didn't give up a sack, but Yash and Royce each allowed two pressures. They were the only players with multiple pressures surrendered. That's insane. First of all, Yash is going up against Miles um, Garrett. He's one of only two guys that gave up multiple pressures. whoop de doo Royce gave up two. Nobody else gave up two pressures in this whole game. That's crazy. Uh, four linemen recorded multiple pressures, and Kenny Clark and Preston Smith each came away with three. Dean Lowry posted one sack, while Smith and Rashawn Gary each had 1.5. Again, PFF doesn't do fractional, so they're going to give him two, but there you go. Devondre Campbell made seven tackles against the run and two defensive stops. Chris Barnes was thrown at four times and allowed four catches for 56 yards and two first downs, so that's not great. Looking at the secondary, finally, Eric Stokes saw six targets into his coverage, but he gave up just three catches for 29 yards. Chandon was targeted four times, allowed two catches for 36 yards, and obviously had that pick on top of it. So great day for those fellers. Gave PFF one final refresh to see if the grades are up. They're not.